Welcome to Awake to Oneness Radio. I am Caroline Chang, your host. The mission of Awake to Oneness Radio is to inspire the world to awaken to the universal truth of oneness. Science is now teaching us that we are all interconnected and interdependent. And spirituality and ancient wisdom has been teaching the truth of oneness for eons. So science is now catching up to this ancient wisdom in, in what spirituality has been teaching us. And in truth, what you do to another person, you're literally doing to another aspect of yourself. And when mankind awakens to the truth of oneness, there will be peace on earth. Today's show topic is Finding Daisy with David Allison. Thank you, David. Welcome to Awake to Oneness Radio. Thank you so much for having me, Caroline. I really oh, and, and thank you so much. David and I actually met about a year ago um, mm-hmm. in person at a workshop. Suzanne Giesman, which yes. many of my listeners are familiar with who Suzanne Giesman is. And she had, give, she had given a workshop in my area up here in PA and David came and we met in person and I'm so glad to have you. Thank you, David. Thank Thank you you so much, Carolyn. I appreciate that. So David, I know that you're very active in helping parents heal Mm -hmm. and I am involved in helping parents heal and not as active as I want to get more active. I am an affiliate leader here in Pennsylvania and I want to get more active very soon. So, um, Please, I want you to start, though. I want you to introduce yourself to our audience Mm -hmm. and share your journey with our listeners, okay? Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, So uh, my story really is, uh, my story uh, is one of transformation. And just to give you a little bit of background about me, um, I've been happily married for over 30 years. Um, I have three adult children. I have... uh, been a an engineer my entire professional career, so over 30 years. And I've also been an entrepreneur for the last 20 years. And I've built up some successful businesses and, and done that from scratch. And so I've had a pretty diverse background. Mm-hmm. And uh, also my background is really very engineering and science-based. And I had been raised <clears throat> as, a, as a Catholic. Um, I was brought up in the Catholic church. I went to Catholic schools full time up until high school. So I was well versed in all of the the traditions of the Catholic church, but it never really resonated with me. And so when I became a young man and went out into the world and, and especially as I started to make a living as an engineer, I uh, didn't turn my back on Catholicism, but I just, it wasn't an active part of my life. It wasn't a belief system that I held as much as a series of traditions. And the science aspect of who I am uh, left me with a very material view, a materialistic view, not materialistic in the sense of, oh, I want things, but materialistic in the sense of metaphysics and in terms of the way I approach things. If I could see it, touch it, feel it, and it was real. And if I couldn't, then it was something else. Okay. And all of that was the background that led me up to the, the period where my story starts with the book, which was on July 20th, 2016. That was the day that two police cars pulled up to my house 
to tell my wife and I and my oldest daughter who was there that my son Davey had died in a car accident uh, just a few miles from our home. He had been missing for about five hours. So there was a, um, we were concerned because he was very easy to reach normally and suddenly he was not. And that was the beginning of this journey of transformation. Yes. And what happened as a result of the, the accident, the, and, and I'm sure you can appreciate this, Caroline, having gone through the process of losing a child, yes. it, is a, it is a profound level of grief, something that, that um, it's difficult to appreciate unless you have experienced it. And when you have experienced, you wish nobody else had to experience that. Right, exactly. And while in the throes of that grief, I could not shake the feeling that my son was still around. And that started the process of me starting to uh, try and understand that. You know, I had so many questions and I had all of the typical responses to the early stages of grief. And yet I could not shake this feeling that my son was around me, that his presence was still there. Like he was trying to, uh, the, the, it just did not feel that he was gone. And initially I thought that's clearly a denial component. The engineer in me, you know, the left side of my brain activated and said, you're in denial. You're, you're, uh, this is just the way you deal with grief. Um, these feelings of his presence is a psychosomatic response to the way you're feeling. And it's all chemical reactions to your brain driving that behavior. Mm-hmm. But, but it still was there. Right. And so uh, over the course of the next few weeks and getting through that process of, of you know, pulling myself out of that grief, um, I started to explore uh, metaphysical subjects. I started to explore um, different perspectives on death. Yes. And st- I read uh, a prolific number of books. I, I could not, I became a voracious reader of anything that dealt with uh, the afterlife just because I wanted to understand it. Yes. And um, I didn't believe it initially, but I wanted to understand it because I was starting to experience things. And I really wanted to know if I was going insane because I was, <laughs> I was experiencing things that didn't really match up with my worldview at the time. My belief system really did not allow for the continuation of consciousness beyond physical death. And so it was very difficult for me initially to process that because I wanted to process it intellectually. My heart was telling me that Davey was right here with me and that I could feel his presence. And yet my brain was telling me he's gone. That's it. The light's been turned off. Right. Can't, you know, consciousness can't survive physical death. And so uh, I had a lot of learning to do as a result of that. And, and that's really where the story you know, kind of goes is, is kind of walking people through what that process was for me. Right. I also had a, um, a challenge because one of the early things that I was told was that I should keep a journal. And the reason that I heard the, the advice that I read mm-hmm. uh, for keeping a journal was to help you understand if you're making progress okay. because one day you know, you cry five, 10 times a day. And the next day you only cry four or nine times. 
And then the next day it might be three times, you know, eight times each day. It was getting a little bit less that, you know, I was starting to feel a little better each day. I felt miserable, but when it was only looking through the lens of where I had been, that it allowed me to see that I was making progress. Right. So that journal actually became the foundation for the book. So I didn't intend to write a book. Right. Um, but what I wanted to do was to to kind of share the journey. And as I began to heal from that grief, as I began to change my perspective and change my belief system, and as I started to explore the various tools that allowed me to see things in a different way mm-hmm. and allow these things in, I suddenly found myself in a in a good place. I wasn't healed, but right. I was getting, I saw a, a light at the end of the tunnel that was warm and inviting and I wanted to go there. Right. And I didn't mean, I don't mean the end of me physically, right. but I wanted, I wanted to, uh, to be able to be happy again. Cause I wondered in the early stages, I don't know that I'm ever going to be happy again. Mm-hmm. And I interacted with enough grieving parents because we, uh, we've experienced, we had friends that had experienced this that had not been th- uh, members of Helping Parents Heal, um, hadn't explored that. And they basically uh, reinforced the cultural perspective that says, yes, when you lose a child, you will be in pain and misery for the rest of your life. That is just the burden you have to carry. That has such a finality to it, is, it, and, it and it's ominous, and it's, and it's, but it's accepted. Right. And people say, "Oh, yeah, yeah, that's death. That's the way your life is. Sorry, you know, your 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 happiness is forfeit." Oh. And, and that really felt uh, that just didn't feel right to me. And so, and so I I put up an extraordinary amount of effort into trying to come out of that grief and be able to say, "How can I look at things in a way that allows me to be happy?" Yes. Mm-hmm. So that was the the kind of uh, practical side of it from a spiritual side um not only did i feel davy's presence i started to experience his presence in ways that were really profound Uh, within about three weeks of the process of going through this grief uh i working here in my home office which by the way i had shared with my son he was working on a business with me okay And, and so uh i you know would stare across at his empty desk, you mm-hmm. know, cause I didn't, I didn't touch it. It was there. It's right. You know? And so I kind of was keeping that in that moment. Right. And, um, I sat down to write a letter to my son okay. and I could not for the life of me figure out how to address it. I sat there with my word processor open on this screen right here. And yes. I was staring at a blank cursor and I just didn't know how to address a letter to my son that had passed. Yes. Dear Davy, hey buddy. Uh, I was actually stuck, and that's the thing. Yeah. That, and I'm sure you can appreciate this, Caroline. When you're in the early stages of grief, the most simple of things can just halt you in your tracks, right? And make you just stop and and just drop into grief. And so I did that for a while, and finally, I just typed out, "I don't think I can do this." And I immediately had this thought in my head and it came and it came from Davy, mm-hmm. saying, it's okay, dad, dad, I'm right here. 
And so I wrote that down. I typed it out very quickly. And that was the beginning of a conversation that I had with Davey that was unbelievable and unbelievable because some of the things he conveyed to me were prior to me really starting on this metaphysical journey. I, I didn't really start reading any books that weren't just traditional books about the grieving process right. until after this letter. And the things that he shared with me, wow. um, which I, I include the entire letter in the book, yes. uh, really gave me a, a, a feeling of there is something so much greater than what we, what I had uh, believed was the level of my experience, the way I viewed life. Right. You know? yes. um, it, so that was a, that was a big, that was a big shift. Um, knowing that life was more than just the things that I experienced and that I was not, I was more than the sum of all of the stuff that really predominantly registered in my brain. I always saw my brain as kind of like the computer and these right. is the peripherals that would, you know, I'm a computer guy. So right. you know, they, 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 they provide input that my brain processes and, and I am defined by my thoughts and all of those things. Right. And right. Being able to pull back and see it through a new lens really changed my perspective. Wow. Yeah. That was a big one. That's so amazing. Now, how how long after uh, Davy's transition did mm-hmm. that did you write that letter? I know it didn't. You didn't write three it weeks. on the first try. How yeah. how long? Three weeks. Oh, three weeks. That that yeah. was yeah. That was soon. and and the grief was still uh, very pronounced at that point and and yes. continued beyond that. It wasn't right. uh, because at that point I was really in a battle. I was in a battle between the left side of my brain and this material perspective on everything. And all of a sudden believing something else, my heart was telling me that he was still with me and that yes. he was still around. Yes. And yet my brain was saying, no, 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 psychosomatic response. You know, there's, there's chemicals that are being injected into your bloodstream right now that are creating these illusions and that's what it is. And, and yes. uh, what was, uh, it was just an, it was an interesting process for yes. me. Well, uh, uh, have you ever heard of the organization called HeartMath? Oh, yes. Okay. Because when you say that, um, that we think that normally we think our brain is it as far as intelligence. Yes. But it has been proven scientifically that the yeah. heart is much more intelligent than the brain. So, right. yes. And your heart was telling you from the moment that he transitioned that he wasn't gone. And right. He, wasn't yeah so, that's um the heart yeah. math the the work of the heart math institute i find fascinating um yes. especially the the um and the, yes i i've examined this stuff this is like i just threw myself into it because i yeah. wanted the left side of my brain to accept you know it, it's one thing to believe something it's another thing to convince the left side of your brain that engineer you know the the yes. doubter to accept it. And, and when I saw what HeartMath had done and some of the studies they had where they, a person, they'd be flashing pictures. Yes. And prior to the picture going up, a person's heart rate would change before their yes. brain even registered what the picture was. Exactly. Yes. And the picture hadn't even shown yet, yet the heart rate changed based on the, the type of picture that was shown. That, I mean, that stuff is uh, right. it was fascinating to me. 
It, it um, showed that the heart actually knows what's going to happen before it happens. Correct. Yes. And uh, Dean Dean Radden has yes, done. Yes, he, he's, he's been a guest lot. on my show. Yes. He, and he's amazing. Yes. I, I, yes. Dean is just, and he's so uh, um, uh, clinical about it. Yes. Which, is great for this, you know, this part of my head says, you know, hey, I like, I like this guy. He, he, yes. he seems like he's just not like all I'm, of <laughs> I'm laughing because like I said, D Dean was a guest on my show the first year. I, I yeah. started the show in 2015 and I'm laughing because I love Dean to death and he and I, we still communicate by email, but he said something on the show. He said, I had, I had, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but I had simplified it into, because he's a scientist, okay, and, and, and I'm a lay person, I'm not a scientist, but I understood, um, I, I understand a lot about quantum physics, and I'm not a scientist in, in the least, but I can explain it in a simplified version, in a layman's version, so I had said something in a layman's version, um, and I had some, well, I, I, you know, I simplified it, but is, was it accurate? And he, right. he's like, yeah, it is accurate, but when you simplify it, it takes away from it. And I'm thinking yeah. to myself, and I didn't want to, he's yeah. my guest. I don't ever disagree with my guest <laughs> on but I wanted to say to him, yeah, it, I mean, I wanted to say no, it doesn't take away when you take a, a concept and simplify it for the everyday person to understand who's yeah. not a scientist, it doesn't take away from it. Right. But that's why I'm laughing. But I love being the deaf. Yeah. 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 You know, it's funny. I, I give a lot of thought to how to convey a lot of this information because yes. The more that I've gotten involved in it, the more I look at the way consciousness works and yes. the way that our entire energetic system uh, creates that consciousness and the energy field that we have. And, and I'm not saying that in a woo-woo kind of way. It's like my aura. I'm talking about the ability for instruments to detect the energy of our body outside of our physical body you know, yes. that energetic body that we have is detectable yes. in an envelope around us and mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. um i find it interesting when you start getting into some of these concepts especially in metaphysics it can be hard because language really doesn't uh, language okay. doesn't really help us <laughs> it, it exactly. can hurt yes. uh, and i i appreciate that as somebody who spent a lifetime in my prof entire professional life lifetime has been in software engineering. I've built large complex systems. I've written commercial software that's used by millions of people. Right. And when I've done that, the challenge of trying to, to I don't want to say dumb down because that's, a, that's an insult to people that actually need to use it, but right. to simplify it to yes. the point where they can kind of manipulate it and understand it and say, oh, okay, well, then I can use this as a tool. Right. It does lose... The, some of the the meat behind it and it leaves some people saying well i just have to trust you that you know what you're talking about right and and that's you know that kind of black box approach to to things where you just right. say oh consciousness survives outside of the you know consciousness is not a byproduct of the brain it actually survives physical death and you just place that on a shelf and say that's this thing now right yeah can be really hard for people like me because i want to know why uh -huh. I, want, I want to understand the why behind it. Right. Now, here's my, my 
answer if that was a question. I haven't. <laughs> okay. Um, it wasn't, but we, I love your answer, so go. Okay, okay. <laughs> Before we started recording, remember we were joking around, and I was yeah. saying it's not this or that, it's this and that. So right. it's true. We can make what we can make anything as complicated as we want are as simple. It's not either or. It's actually it's actually both. It's right. not it's never either or. It's always this and that, not this or that. Because and then now I'm gonna start throwing out some more um meta not, not metaphysical, but metaphysical and quantum physics. Um we live in um we are living in a multiverse and 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 multi-dimensional where anything can happen so everything that can happen does happen on some frequency it's all about frequency so i'm trying not to but i personally and i always say this i love to keep things simple right. and for me the simplest thing is understanding oneness understanding right. that everything is interconnected and interdependent so anything, um, I love Rumi's quote, I quote it a lot, you're not a drop in the ocean, you're the mm -hmm. ocean in a drop. In a drop. Yeah. So you, we are each all cells of God, we can say. Right. And we're not separate, can never be separated from right. God. So you and Davy can never be separate. Right. He's always with you, just like and Kyle is always with me. Exactly. And I think yes. that's the, the thing that's a challenge, I think, is that when you go when you when you go through grief when you go through profound grief i don't know if you experienced this but for me especially in the early stages and and mine was a shock mine was not an illness mine was a you right. know perfectly healthy happy 24 year old okay gone you know yes. just bunk uh yes. and that was uh so the shock of that uh created a, a kind of a a grief that was just so sudden, I didn't see it coming. It just was there. It just, and yes, yes. What I found, and, and this is something I relate to in the book, is that all of my thoughts, all of the things that I usually felt defined who I am and, and the things that I was worried about, you know, because before that, I, I can only see it now because I can look back at it. Right. I was my thoughts. My thoughts were the definition of who I was. And if right. you're if you're thinking that everything's a byproduct of the brain, this is the only thing that is me and I am yes. disconnected from everything else. Yes. And when I went through and uh, started to experience that grief, all the thoughts that I normally held in my head and jumped around with disappeared. That, well, they didn't disappear. They were still there, but there was no emotion attached to them. I would okay. drop them. I would drop them immediately because I immediately went to missing my son and thinking about my son and why did this happen? And, and, you know, Oh, we got to pay this bill. Yeah, whatever. I'll pay it whenever. I don't care. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, Oh, we got, I'm thinking about this for the business. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. I'll, I just put it on a shelf and all of those thoughts kind of vacated my brain and it left this huge capacity for mm -hmm. processing things. Mm -hmm. And that is the brain for me. That was the the physical side of me trying to understand and rationalize these things that I was experiencing. So and basically, I if I if I can paraphrase, let me know if I'm paraphrasing that this mm -hmm. correctly. You're saying all of the things be all of the things before Davy's transition that seemed important. All of those things that seemed important before his transition, after his transition, felt like they were not important. 
support. Well, they, weren't, they just weren't, uh, they, they had nothing. Well, uh, one of the side effects of losing a child is you feel like you've lost your future mm-hmm. because I had spent, uh, we, the five of us is what we, how we referred to ourselves. Uh, we're very, very close. Uh, mm-hmm. And my wife and I are still very, very close to our daughters and all of us are still very close to Davy. So it's still yes. the five of us. Yes. And when you, when you're consumed by thinking everything is in the physical, then when one of those physical components goes away, the loss, the gap, the hole in your life is pronounced and clear. Mm-hmm. And initially I felt like there was this hole in the, this giant black hole in the floor of our house or wherever I was walking and I, and I had to tiptoe around it. And I was worried that anybody could fall into that hole and then I'd lose that person too. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, it was that, that cycle of grief where it was just constantly, you know, walking around the edge of this dark hole. And it wasn't until I was able to, and this took a lot, this actually took at least a year, quite frankly, for me. And some people can do it faster and some people never do it. And that's part of their journey. Yes. But uh, for me, it took really about a year. You know, it's hard to quantify specifics, but um, before I started to recognize that there wasn't a hole, because as you said, that connection was still there. And even though I was having these deep, uh, profound spiritual experiences with my son and later with my father, my father passed 250 days after my son. Oh, okay. um, so, and I'm David Reese Allison, the third, my son was David, the fourth, my dad okay. was the second, Yes. the whole lineage of this yes. thing that I had prided myself on this concept of a future was gone. And yes. so, uh, that, that took a while to kind of rationalize and be able to look at it in a way that said, no, they're not gone. Right. And this actually leads me to one of the things that I try to counsel parents that are going through this with. It's one thing to, to, to believe in an afterlife. It's one thing to accept that your child lives on and is not really dead. And that's right. why we use the words like transition as right. opposed to death, because death has this finality to it, whereas transition just says, no, they just moved into their natural state. They've gone home in a way that is, allows for a different kind of experience. And... <clears throat> It's one thing to to believe that. It's another thing to see yourself that way. Right. And this is uh, like Suzanne wrote a really great book that I really enjoyed called uh, "Still Here, um, Still yes. Right Here." Yes. And uh, you know, it, it, and it's a great story, and I love the way that she incorporates the um, the 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 way that these different helping parents heals families have connected with their children. Right. I almost yes. I want parents to see that they're still here. It's kind of like, it's the, it's flipping the, the narrative. And, and instead of people seeing themselves as uh, a grieving parent that still has to connect with this child in spirit, and that there's a, a disconnect between the two, and that you have to go into meditation in order to be able to, to experience that, or you have to go to a medium in order to be able to experience right. this and get messages from your child, and that there's someplace else, and you're stuck in this physical life, and that someday you're going to go there. The reality is, you're in that spiritual plane too. Your soul is eternal and you are already there. And if you can just connect at that level, if you can tap into and see everything through that global consciousness, you start to recognize that oneness that you talk about so profoundly is, is when you get, when you look at the world through that lens, 
everything becomes easier. The connection you have with the child is easier. You're not having to bridge a gap because there is no gap. You, you suddenly see it that way. And um, so I think that's, a, that's an important... Um, very, very important. Yeah, yeah. It, it's important to, to shift your perspective. It, it's not enough to just believe in the afterlife. And it's not enough just to, to, to say that these things are possible because then you're always looking for some condition Yes. Um, something has created a block that uh, um, is preventing you from communicating with your child, or you've created a um, that belief that this is not possible. Right, and it, and like you said, and I love that uh, with Suzanne's work, she's she's doing these workshops like the ones we that you and I went to for mm-hmm. parents and for anyone that has a loved one on the other side, or quote unquote yeah. on the other side, because there is no other side. Right. It's just one. This- it's it's all they're right here with us now, just different yeah. frequency. Like I was saying, multi. We are multi. We are eternal, uh, infinite, multi-dimensional yeah. beings, and they are right here with us. They're no, and we are in truth always home. One of my favorite books, uh, Neil Donald Walsh, is Home with God. And yeah. when you're reading that book, you think, okay, you're trying to get home with God. No, you're already home with right. God. You have never not been home with God. So yeah. that's like the, and the journey and the destination are the same. Right. So it's just, yes. So that is very, very true. And that's it's, it is a change in perspective. And I think that yes. people can change their perspective if they allow themselves to do it. And for me, the, the big one was the change in the belief system. And for me, that meant uh, understanding the science behind it in some yes. ways. I think that um, the the thing that has helped me more than anything else is that I don't doubt it anymore because I've seen the evidence. There's there's so much evidence outside of the things you can physically experience yourself. Mm-hmm. There's so much evidence available that validates that all of this is very real. Right. Yes. That, and and it, you can say, oh well, there's these ghost shows that are are you know just reality TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. You yeah. Know, everybody has their own ways of expressing this stuff. But if you really want to take an empirical, objective view, there is ample evidence from so many different credible sources that show that it exists. But this is not accepted by mainstream science. So mainstream science has a material view of things, and and until that changes, we're left with either religious dogma that yeah. says, you know, I've got to view it a certain way and, and you're a heretic if you don't believe the or a blasphemer or some label they attach to you that says you don't believe it the way I expect you to believe it. Right. And then, um, that, that concept of belief systems is actually the only thing that I really um, try to stress with people. Right. Even though I don't like using the word stress. <laughs> no, no, I, I understand exactly what you're saying. I do. Yeah, is, and- is that, you know, a belief system is really yours and yours alone. Yes. Uh, nobody can make you believe something. You allow yourself to believe things. Right. You give and yourself permission. I love the word you said because I went to Catholic school for six years. You you grew up in Catholic school and you said, mm-hmm. and I love that you said it doesn't resonate. What the what the yeah. the Catholicism, the dogma of religious yeah. dogma just never resonated with me right. and I wish that th- at three and four years old I was able I was be able to say to my parents 
this doesn't resonate with me. <laughs> you know, they yeah. would have looked at me like, what? They didn't teach you that word till later, and then it's like, yeah, oh, now, yeah. now I know. Yeah. But exactly, and that's what I, I encourage people. Whatever I say, this, I'm just sharing what resonates for right. me. And, 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 that's the, and, yeah. and it comes through very clearly. And that's the, I think that's the most important thing when the way I look at it, there's a, there's a, a very simple test that you can perform with your belief system mm-hmm. that can tell you whether or not it's a valid belief system. And that is, can you question it? Mm-hmm. Cause if you can't question it, right. if you just say, that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then I would offer that yeah. it is probably not your belief system. You yeah. have become a surrogate for somebody else's belief system. They've handed it to you and said, this is the way things are. And right. if, because of the tribal nature of, um, of our culture, because of the way that, that controls have been put in place and the way society and culture pushes us down a specific path, right. we associate with a particular label that says, oh, I'm Protestant, or I'm, I'm Muslim, or I'm Buddhist, or I'm whatever I am. And, and now I, I, I say, in order for me to, to carry that label, I have to carry all of these beliefs. These beliefs come with that label. Yes. And I think that if people can just say, hey, look, you know, it's okay to question your belief system. It, it's actually important, in my opinion, to question your belief system if you're not sure. You, know, you want to be able to do that. Caroline, I'm not sure if you're still there, so I'll keep going. (laughs) Caroline? Hello? I can hear some noise in the background, but I'm not sure if you're still there. I see that we are recording, so I'm just going to keep going. Um, The... uh, the other thing that I've been uh, kind of fascinated by is the way that meditation has helped me to uh, tap into that background, um, that consciousness. When I started to divest myself of the thoughts that I had and was able to re- release that and just say, okay, I don't want that. Um, uh, I don't want those, uh, thoughts to cloud my ability to communicate with that global consciousness. Then it was, uh, it was just a great feeling. It was nice to be able to, to kind of separate my thoughts out, push them aside and get into that quiet space where I could just start to understand things. And that's where I would connect with Davey. I would connect with my parents. Um, I had these deep, uh, mediumship experiences. And, and while I would never, uh, describe myself as a medium. Uh, I think everybody is capable of being a medium. Uh, just some people are more are, are have it more naturally, and yes. and some people are able to connect in different ways. But we all are receivers, capable of adjusting our frequency. As long as you can get the 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 cloud of thoughts out of your head and push that aside, then you can really start to listen. It's hard to broadcast and listen at the same time. So you have to learn how to quiet because uh, if thoughts are talking, then how can you silence the talking to listen? Yes, exactly. Now, um, a couple of things you said that reminds me, I teach piano lessons and anybody can learn 
anybody can learn the piano, but some people are not. I get students that are they at two or three years old, they're just ready to go. They're born to play the piano. They're naturally gifted. So anybody, and that's the same thing with mediumship. Like you said, any of us can can become mediums if that's what our passion is. But it, you know, but if that's not what you're naturally, where I believe we're all naturally gifted in a particular area. And that's, and that is hard. We'll find that in our heart. Your right. heart will guide you exactly to where you're naturally gifted. But like you said, anybody can learn it, but is it, is it your natural calling? And I like saying that your calling. And so that's very true. And there was something else you had, two things you had mentioned. You were talking about naturally gifted, and oh, quieting the mind. Yes. Yes, because yes, this is what I say. Um, and I say this to people. Uh, I have friends that are quote unquote fundamental Christians that I try to have conversations. I'm always listening. I, I listen. And then when I, and I try to share with them what I'm, but they, like you said, do, they, they just jump to, well, is it in the Bible? And this verse yeah. says this, and this verse says that. And I was like, so I, I say, you know, is this coming from you? Like, is, is it coming from you? Or is this something you have adopted from your parents, from church, from society? Is that, is, is that, is it really coming from you? Right. And then the other thing is about the difference between prayer and meditation. Prayer mm -hmm. is talking to God. Yeah, you know, you're doing the talking. So God is doing the listening. Even God is not separate from you, but you're doing the talking. You can't listen when you're talking. So right. the meditation is quieting the mind. Just breathe, eat whatever, however, like breathing. For me, it's deep breathing. Sometimes I say a mantra. Sometimes I have yeah. quiet music in the background. But it's yeah. really, for me, it's focusing on my breath to quiet yeah. my mind taking deep breaths, focus on my breath, quiet the mind so you can actually listen. And it's not, I, I hear it in my heart. This is where I hear God speaking to me right here, not in my ears, but in, you know, my, in my heart. Sentence. What I found fascinating for me is that, and I, my meditation practice, I've been, I've had a very active meditation practice. I've been meditating every day. I try to meditate about a little over 30 minutes a day. Uh -huh. I tend to do it in the morning. Um, and it's the one thing I might, I, I, I try to eat healthy. Don't always, I try to exercise every day. I don't always, but I, every day yes. I meditate. That's mm -hmm. the one thing that is the gift that I give to myself. Oh, and I've had parents tell me that, well, I just don't have time to meditate. I've had people say, I just don't, I'm so busy. I'm so consumed with this. I'm so consumed with that. And, and it's because most, many parents live a selfless life. You know, they're, they're trying to be of service to their children. They're trying to be of service to their community, to their family, to the other people that depend on them. They've, they've chosen that life, that existence. And, yes. and what, they, the, what they don't do is give enough time for themselves. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to take one gift and give it to yourself, just one gift, is to, is to give yourself that time to be able to quiet that mind, remove yourself from that activity and allow it to allow yourself to, to listen. And what I found interesting was, and as you said, prayer is, prayer is talking to God and meditation is listening. I, I agree with that. The listening that I have, the, the experience that I have in meditation is not that you hear a voice 
Because when you hear a voice, generally speaking, my experience has been that that's your, those are your thoughts. That's what my experience has been. When I experience God, when I experience that connection, when I get into that meditative state, the information is, it's hard to describe. It's just there. Yes. Um, a thought doesn't have to go through this linguistic translation that turns into a stream of words that said, this is what I heard. Right. It's just there. It's suddenly having a knowing of yes. these things. And I think that's the, the thing where it really gets to be a beautiful experience, something so profound and so loving and, and uh, amazing is when you realize that it isn't, you're not just waiting to hear some voice say, okay, now everything's fine. <laughs> you know, it, it, it doesn't work that way. At least right. it didn't for me. Right, it, right, right. That, even when I had my conversation with Davey, the yes. fully formed thought, this concept was just in my head. Yes. And it wasn't going through that process of the brain where it's thinking and processing and trying to put words together and, you know, use a whole list of different words to convey yes. a, a concept. Yes. Exactly. It was just there. Yes. And, um, and that's why I think sometimes it can be difficult to, uh, to describe some of this because yes. it's like, it's like asking somebody to describe, you know, you know, describe love for me, yes. you know, an alien comes down, but describe this love thing for me. You know, I see uh -huh. you, you write songs about it. We've been monitoring your activity for this. <laughs> Tell me about love. It's like, okay, yeah. how do you put that into words? You right. know, and you can use right. examples of right. people experiencing love, but how do you right. actually describe it? Right. Um, right. And, and I think that's, that's one of the challenges with some of this stuff that can make it feel like it's a woo woo, you know, uh, thing is we all have different interpretations of it. We all talk about it in a different way. We have some, some people are able to, to put it into words in a way that other people can understand. Right. And when you hear those words as somebody who's experienced it, I go, yep, that's it. That's what you yes. just said is exactly it. Right. Yes. Yes. Um, but it can be hard to, to, to express that to other people. Yes. It can be really hard. Very, but that doesn't yeah. mean it's not there. Right, yeah. exactly. And words, yeah. words are so limiting. So, yeah, yeah it's just, yeah, words are Especially just, in the English language. Yes. Like, and that's know, the other language I know. Other languages have different words for everything. We use the same words for completely different things. Uh -huh. We need to just change the definition of literal to yes. mean figurative. <laughs> Why did we do that? Oh, because, you know, people use literally all the time. And, I do. And, I use that word. <laughs> yeah, it, exactly. It's, yes. So we change the tense. We change, you know, it's a cultural thing. It's a time-based yes. thing. We, we, as we, as we evolve as a culture and a society, right. change and yes. evolve. And that, that's why sometimes the, the, this is why uh, some of the biblical passages that can have such profound meaning to some people can have a completely different meaning different to somebody meaning. else. Exactly. exactly. I've used, I've used some of these websites that will look at the 17 different versions of the English translation of the Bible right. and translate a verse from Matthew as an example. And yes. you'll see 17 variations and the tense is so different. One, it sounds like old, you know, you know, book of Genesis wrath kind of stuff. And other times it sounds like this beautiful, loving passage from Jesus. And, and other times it's this, you know, I think we we're trying to say this. Um, right. And it well, makes I, you realize that, you know, now we're talking yeah. 2000 years in the past or 
17, 1800 years in the past when those passages were recorded. Right. And it can be difficult. Here's a perfect example of that, I think, is just the word love. In, in the Bible, um, now I forget it was either the a Greek or, or, or it was Hebrew or Greek. I'm not sure exactly the language, but the word love it was three different words for love, and they all had different meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, and when, okay, like when um, Peter, or no, I'm sorry, when Jesus was asking Peter, do you love me? And in the Bible, it, it says it has him asking him three times, but he right. didn't ask. Jesus didn't say, do you love me three times? He used three different words. And finally, right. he got to the word agape. Agape is that unconditional, meaning there's yeah. nothing I could ever do to make you stop loving right. me. The kind of love that parents have for their child. Yes. I mean, our, our children don't always do exactly what we want, but right. there's nothing they can do that we would not love them. That's, so, that's agape. And so yeah. Jesus was asking Peter that. He, it was three different words. It right. wasn't just love. You know? You're actually hitting on something interesting that I've spent a lot of time considering, and that is this, um, the concept of unconditional love. Mm-hmm. The idea, and any parent will tell you, I, I assume every parent I've ever met yes. will tell you that they love their children unconditionally. Yes. And in the case of parents like us, that includes once they've transitioned. Yes. So that, that whole concept of unconditional, it, it, unconditional is just such a powerful concept, yes. removing the conditions for something to be. And what I've, what I've discovered is, is that that's the definition of being in the physical. Yes. Because everything in this physical existence we have, in this material existence that we have, is predicated on conditions. Mm-hmm. So can you look at life and remove the conditions that you need in order to find love or yes. happiness? Yes. You know, what are the things that, that the, you know, what are the conditions that you put on? Because I see parents that are struggling with grief and they say, well, I could be happy. I would be happy if my child was still physically alive. Right. but they're not. So I, I'm not happy. Right. So you've put conditions on your happiness that are always going to be there based on this physical, you know, right. perspective that you've put on there. Exactly. Um, and so I've been trying to figure out a way to, to convey, how do you live an unconditional life? How do you go through and try and remove all of these conditions that we place on the things that make us happy? You know, can you remove judgment? Can you remove some of these things that we, we tend to go to so quickly and use? And and I think judgment's important if you're trying to judge whether or not a crossing is going to be safe. You know, if if you, you know, if you're judging the distance of a car as you're crossing the street, that's an appropriate time to judge. Well, I, you know what? I don't see, here we go again with the words. I don't call that judgment. I call that discernment. Okay. Yeah. Right now. Hmm. Well, there's a, 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 a truck barreling down the street going 100 miles an hour. Maybe I shouldn't. I should just wait. Yeah. yeah. Maybe I'll wait a minute. So, but I, 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 I like this physical body for a little bit longer. Right. Let me just, right. Yeah. So, yeah. discernment. And I think there is a difference between discernment and judgment. Now, yeah. ju- okay, okay, how I like, and every, everybody defines things differently in their mind. Right. For me, judgment is labeling something 
good, bad, evil, or, you know, or of that mm-hmm. nature. But yeah. the discerning, you know, should I do this or that? I, I think mm-hmm. of that as dis- discernment. But I, I yeah. love that you brought up the unconditional. Because I, when I speak, and I love my Christian friends, uh, when I speak to them and and they throw Bible verses after Bible verses after me, I keep saying, the Bible says that God is unconditional love. That's what God, unconditional, not just love, God is unconditional love. So how do they equate some of the things that they glean? Yeah with a like i'm just saying a parent i mean we know as a parent i'm not throwing my my child in a pit to burn for eternity it's just right. I'm not doing yeah. that. i don't care what he does or what she yeah. does yeah, exactly. love, okay let's like you know let's we gotta work this out a different way but i'm not yeah. you know so well and it's it, it is interesting you know when you when you use that perspective that's a great that's a really really good perspective on it right yeah. i think that when we when we when I start to communicate with people that have a deep and fundamental um, perspective, a religious, they've got a dogmatic view of things. Yes. My uh, general perspective is I disengage relatively quickly because most people, in my experience, because I used to be one of those people. Okay. Uh, when you're when you start to go through that process, it's not a, a you know help me understand something. It's no no I my ego is involved, my brain, which uh, my, my ego, I believe is brain based. It's yes. protective and it, you know, has a lot of fear and, and things that are, that serve the body to, to protect it. Right. Um, when my ego gets involved, man, it loves to be right. It wants to be right so badly. It wants I to win that, so badly. Have to be right. Itis. Yeah. And, I have and, to be right. Itis. <laughs> and, and so, you know, there's, there's uh there's the discovery process as we right. communicate and, and that's why it's easy to communicate with like-minded people and right. it can be difficult to communicate with people that hold a different viewpoint. If right. you can find people that are capable of truly questioning their belief system, if you can get somebody that says that acknowledges, I reserve the right to change my mind. If, you, if this argument feels compelling to me, or you may have based this on information that I did not have available, as long as they're true facts and not, you know, the facts that we see in politics now, as an example, <laughs> then, then, you know, if, if as long as it read, as you're able to reach someone at that level, then, then you can have a discussion. But I've found that most people that try to convey a specific viewpoint that is dogmatic really just want to be right. And, and I don't really have, it's like, okay, that's fine. I love you. You're, you're awesome. You're amazing. You're a part of, you're connected to me. I, I respect your opinion intensely and I'm okay just listening to yours. That's fine. And if they ask, what do I think? It's like, I think something a little different, but that's okay. Cause I don't want to engage at that right. level because I don't well, need to be right. <laughs> right, right, right. And, and actually I agree with you a hundred percent. Cause I, there's a, uh, there's a phrase. Um, um, if you have a choice of being right or being kind, which one would you choose? You, right. Your kindness. But I've actually engaged for hours at a time with people that are very dogmatic in a very, I mean, I, I really sometimes wish that these conversations were recorded because it's always my level 
of engagement with them is always loving and open and I allow them to share after they go on and on and on about throwing the Bible at me I'll like I'll pick up the Bible and I'll just say okay now how about this just to give right. like to give them thought um, thoughts seeds to grow yeah. and to plant them just have you ever looked at it this way and most of the time if I ask them a very direct question, they can't answer it. Right. So, you know, it's like, it's giving them like, okay, well, they're like, maybe even hours later, they're thinking, they're thinking about that question that they couldn't answer. So yeah. I, I've always, because I don't have to be right. I just share, right. I allow them to share. And what they're sharing, I've been sh it has been shared with me many times over and over. So I know what right. they're sharing. But yeah. what I'm sharing may not, they may never <clears throat> have been exposed to. So yeah. I do, I, I'll, and I'll sit there for hours at a time. Matter of fact, I'm going to church this Sunday because the pastor asked me to come. And I had, I've had a conversation with him and he wants, everybody's trying to save me. Everybody thinks I'm, yeah. I'm a nice person. They love me. Oh, we have to save her. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'll go to church. Yeah. Okay. I know I'm saved and we're all saved, but it's all right. good. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I, I do, I do think it is, uh, it is definitely, uh, it, it is interesting. Um, yes. but uh, I actually went through, um, when we start talking about the way you communicate with other people, that was, yeah. that was one of the bigger changes that I had. And I, and I actually had created a thought experiment, which I find okay. was really helpful. I started to go through the process of assuming that every single person that I encountered could read my mind. Mm. They could, they could read every thought that I had. I had a boss like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm joking with you. No, but he did. He's like, he would tell but I, me. But I thought about it. Why didn't you do it? Yeah. <laughs> no, but I, but uh, what, what is interesting about it is that I, what I recognized was that when you feel, when you, when you, act as though when you think as though everything single thought you have is transparent. Yeah. It is transformative in that if you start examining the thoughts that you have when you're encountering other people, wordlessly, the yeah. judgments you pass on a homeless person that you see, the, uh, the way I would look at someone who wasn't as physically fit as I felt they should be. Mm -hmm. I would never because I'm socially coordinated, say anything to them, but I would think it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that the, 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 the fact that I thought those things yeah. was just a, a, um, an out of control process to me right. from right. a computer Auto standpoint. Automatic. We, we're, yeah. We're, yeah. And so by, by examining that and all of a sudden changing the narrative and looking at people and assuming that they could read my mind, it affected the way I thought of people. And I found that all of a sudden my life got a lot better. Wow. I, I looked at people and all I did was initially it was um, looking at them and trying to pick out a quality about them that I like. So if they were reading my mind, they'd say, Oh, this person really likes the way I'm dressed today. Or, Oh, this person thinks I have nice eyes, but those are still judgments. Uh -huh. And so what I started doing was just, I, when I encounter people, I, I don't see a person. I see a soul. Yes. And what I see is love. And yes. so I just, 
I just love everybody. Yes. And if you can do that, yes. for me, I get to see my son in everybody. Yes. I get to yes. see my parents in everybody. Yes. The interactions that I have change and it, and it has a material impact because I'm walking into situations and things are diffused immediately. If there's tension, the tension goes away yes. because it just doesn't, you know, um, when you look at people through that lens, yes. then all of a sudden the communication that you can have opens up. The yes. way you can talk to people opens up. Exactly. And it's just a, it's a beautiful way of being able to kind of navigate through life. Yeah. And, and actually what you just said is kind of how I, when I'm having these hour long conversations with people that are very fundamental and it, it, I really can even see in my conversation because I am so open with them and in, in the yeah. sense that I am not, I am not coming at them saying they're wrong. Like, right. You're wrong. I'm right. I'm not yeah. coming from that energy. I'm just coming from that love energy and they can feel that, that yeah. they, it even, it gets them to even in mid conversation starts to, really question just go right. within themselves and start questioning so right. that and i i have so this exactly and that's where the oneness to me that is yeah. when we really really understand that we're not separate beings we right. see we appear to be separate beings but we're not we're divine light we're divine aspects of god each and every one of us and right. we're, we're we're connected we're one and and we're just experiencing god wants to experience everything through us so he right. is experienced he she you know we use yeah. this as he here yeah. but god is it's energy it's the right. unconditional love unconditional love wants to experience everything so it's right. experiencing everything through us yeah, yeah each one of us are a unique expression of god exactly yeah and exactly. Uh, that's how god experiences things and that's how we as God experienced things. And that's exactly. how we, that's why we incarnate. I think yes. it's to experience the illusion of separateness. Yes. To experience the contrast yes. so that we have an appreciation. I mean, a, a person that uh, is sitting on a raft in the middle of the ocean is not worried about conserving water. Okay. <laughs> Just, <laughs> I'm on an ocean. And when, yes. you're, when you're basking in that yes. sense of unconditional love, Yes. Creating the illusion, a brief moment in time, you know, injecting yourself into a time-based reality that has physical properties and experiencing life yes. allows God to experience that. And, yes. I, and I think that's, and, and when we talk about God, I mean, this is one of the challenges I had because the yes. God of the Catholic faith that I right. was taught, and again, right. I'm not going to pursue, I'm not going to, I, I am more than happy if somebody is, is Catholic and they, and it, and it, um, that the religion and the, and the perspective serves them, then yes. hey, please continue that. Enjoy exactly. it. You know, exactly. if that's what works for you. Exactly. Um, exactly. but I, uh, I personally have always struggled with that kind of anthropomorphic view mm -hmm. of God yes. that, you know, he, and yes. the white robe and the guy yes. and the, you know, Sistine Chapel pictures and yes. paintings and, and all that that have created this concept of this separate individual yes. that created us in his image. And, right. you know, the, the irony there is that, oh, yeah, God did that, but mm -hmm. it's not this physical image. Right. Exactly. It's the energetic 
Exactly. That's the thing. God did. We are created in God's image, meaning any, any attri attribute you apply to God, you can apply to us because it's, right. it's holographic. It's that yeah. we are holographic aspects of God. And that's exactly what he did. Now, what man did by reading, taking that passage from the Bible that we are created in God's image, what man did is create God in man's image. You're right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So God is jealous, vindictive, vengeful, jealous, all those things. Those are attributes of man, not yeah. attributes of God. Yeah. Deepak yeah. Chopra has a book about the, um, the versions of God. Yeah, I think he's got seven. I believe it's seven. The seven versions of God. Okay. And and it's the going from the, um, you know the the first book, um, uh, you know the the original Bible, right. on through to this kind of metaphysical and new age, if you will, perspective on God. And there's seven distinct ways that God was expressed by man and how that has changed. And some people still right. cling to previous versions of God. Oh, let's go back to the vindictive God that does yes. that, that really wants you to do a certain things a certain way. And, right. and oh, by the way, they, he'll justify how you treat other people because, you know, they're, they're, yes. they're not doing things the way he says. And, right. and it's right. a, it's a fascinating book. I'd have to find the title of it, but, right. I, but I enjoyed reading that. Um, okay. Yeah. People That's have so a different perspective on, Yes. On God. And yes. yeah. The other and, thing that I found that is interesting is that the ability for a person to put the focus of their attention on something, you can put your attention on something positive or something negative. It's a choice every, we all make. It's the difference between an optimist now, and in, in every now moment. Yeah. In, in every now moment, that, that came to me years ago, that in every now moment, we have the choice to everything is neutral, but we can look at it negatively or we can look at it positively. Right. And, and, and that is, we have that choice in every now moment. Yeah. And, and I think that it's also, and this goes back to helping parents that are dealing with grief. When yes. you look at the, those now moments, living in the now and understanding and starting to gain a perspective on it. If you're living in the past and you're saying, I want to pull that past forward and live that past now. Wow. Yes. Well, that past is past by definition. Yes. Mm -hmm. And if you yes. try to live for a future that isn't there yet, you know, you're saying, oh, I, I just desperately want this thing to happen. And that's going to create the condition of my happiness right. and not living in the now. If you can focus on the now and you can develop and cultivate a perspective that allows you to see yourself as a soul in this temporary, beautiful, wonderful experience called life yes, and make the most out of that. And right you know, do what, uh, do that process of loving the people around you, yes. enjoying the experience, doing what you can. And, and what I find fascinating is you can see people that have all the material things that our culture values and see them tremendously unhappy. And you can see people that are, yes. that are barely subsisting on the things that they need. And yet they have more wealth than the wealthiest person in the world. This is so true. It is, it is all about the connection you have with your true self and the way that you view things and the attention you put on things wow. and you have your people are so much more powerful than they think yes. because ultimately they're not people, they're souls. Exactly. And as soon as they see through that lens, everything becomes so much easier. I mean, everything yes. becomes easier. Yes. 
So, yes, um, I, th I think that's so true. I think um, two things that I like to just share with the world through this podcast is waking up to who you truly are. And that's like you said, within each of us, we have that answer. You know, what, what resonates with us, who we truly are. And, you know, we're, we, we, did cho we chose to come here. And yeah. We chose for a reason. So that's our purpose. So when we know who we are and we have to found our pur purpose, nobody can tell you who you are and nobody can tell you what your purpose is. It's inside of you. That has yes. to come from within. And when yes. you discover those two things, life does become an, a joyous, joyous yes. Now, because I don't know, if pow The Power of Now is one of my favorite books. Eckhart oh, yeah. yeah. And in truth, Einstein said, what did Einstein say about time? Time is an illusion, meaning there is no past, there is no future. All there is is the now. Time right. is an illusion, albeit a very persistent one. Love Einstein. Again, yeah. the science. Is, and the thing is, science is just now tipping. Now, oh, that's what you said something about um, Mainstream science. Now, mm -hmm. here's the thing that puzzles me. Quantum physics is really mainstream in the sense that all of our electronic devices, our computers, our smartphones, mm -hmm. our smart TVs, all of today's electron, all of today's technology stems from quantum physics. Mm -hmm. At the core of quantum physics is oneness. So why is it not, you know, why is this whole idea of oneness not more mainstream? One That's, word. Why? Okay. Ego. Ego, okay. Because when you have invested your entire career in a material perspective and the opposing party, because you're ego-driven, right. is something that represents a dogmatic religion, you don't think of... There, you've got somebody that's purveying an anthropomorphic God that is dogmatic and, and has very specific rules that don't apply to your science, so you mm -hmm. discard all of it. That's the way I did it. Mm -hmm. And that's my experience is most uh, atheists, uh, and a, not atheists in the sense of their, because there are spiritual atheists. Okay. Um, the, the, um, the, the ones that are materialists. Right. And not in the cultural sense, but in the physical sense that it, right. it's all about physical matter. Right. Um, if you if you are focused 100% on matter, which is a Newtonian 200-year-old perspective, 300-year-old perspective on this. Right. Um, if you are, are couched in that, then you basically just say there's this Occam's razor that say you're either over here uh -huh. Or you're part of the woo-woo, crazy, you know, right. let's deny all of it. Everything is, you know, can't, can't be observed. And, and you dismiss the science that shows, that proves that reincarnation exists, that proves right. that consciousness can, can survive physical death, oh, right. that proves that there is the ability to communicate and see things that are outside the physical body, that yes. proves that your body is an energy field capable of, of, of reacting to information or to events before they actually even happen. Right. All of that get, just gets dismissed as, oh, yeah, 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 well, whatever. We'll just yeah. not, we'll just won't pay attention to that. Well, here's another big piece to that scientific evidence. Science has proven that what man, our 
physical body can interpret interpret as far as what's out there is like tiny 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 yeah. like what we can see what we can hear is yeah. so tiny they have uh, equipment that can um detect yeah. much 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 we know that a dog can hear much yeah. much more than we can so it's so to say that for someone to say well if i can't hear it taste it smell it see it it doesn't exist it's like when you when you really think of that logically when science has science now we're talking has proven that there is so much more out there that we yeah. cannot see that we cannot touch that we cannot hear it is proven that there's so much more out there but sure. we're gonna say we're gonna be that one that's kind of like kind of looking up at a clear night sky and seeing all the billion billions of stars and planets and saying okay earth is the only planet with intelligent life on it sure you know how yeah. limited how how um what's the word yeah. i'm looking for there's a word i'm looking for myopic myopic and 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 how small i mean I, I can't even yeah. think of the word but how to be to know that there's so much vastness and to say no well it does that that vastness doesn't exist because i can't see it okay. well that's that's like that's like denying that radio waves uh um existed 200 years ago you know exactly. we didn't have anything that was generating radio waves but they existed. We just yes. weren't detecting them. Exactly. And then later we learned how to generate them. Yes. It's like, oh, okay. I mean, I think that, you know, over time this will change. Yes. I think that there's an awareness, there is uh, an acceptance that there are different things happening. And, and I think this is where the power of a global communications network allows yes. people to see things that um, would otherwise have been deep in the bowels of some library, someplace that they'd have to visit. You know, yes. you look in our lifetime, how much, Oh, yes. Things have changed in terms of how uh, information is acquired and disseminated. And I think that this next generation that's coming up is going to be capable of an, a level of introspection if they avail themselves to it. Exactly. We, they'll, they'll have a starting point that's so much further along than the things that we had to start with. Exactly. And we're already seeing it now. I mean, yes. I can't tell you how many YouTube videos you can find that yes. walk through so many of these things that we've talked about. Exactly. Um, exactly. Another yes. another one that you brought that you just mentioned this whole concept of the consciousness. Uh, you're familiar with uh, Proof of Heaven, uh, yes. Evan Alexander's book. Oh yes, I was um, reading. I just I'll share with you. I was reading that book. Now Kyle, like my my journey with Kyle is a little bit different because I in 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 essence I went through it twice. I don't know if you're familiar yes. with that. I'm well, familiar with the story, yeah. Yeah, with 2011 being the first time I was told that Kyle wasn't gonna make it, right. but he, he didn't transition to 2014. But right. when, so I was in December 2011, I was reading Evan, um, Dr. Evan Alexander's book and I right. got to meet him in 2014 when Kyle was in the hospital, he, Kyle was still alive, he, he had not transitioned, but I got to meet him at a workshop in New Jersey when Kyle was, so I was reading his book, Proof of Heaven, when Kyle was in um, life support the very first time in December of 2011, and I got to meet him in person in May of 2014, a few months before Kyle transitioned, so, and, yeah. he, and he has been a guest on my show. But and he's, uh, well, his perspective is that, and, and he's got uh, a 
profoundly, uh, I use that word a lot. Uh, he has got a deep uh, uh, knowledge of the way the brain works as yes. a neurosurgeon. Yes. And his view is that the brain is not a creator of consciousness, but a filter of consciousness. Yes. Yes. And it allows us to experience the true nature of things in a filtered view. Yes. And that, I think, is absolutely fascinating. As somebody who's written uh, computer software, and I've, I've uh, done game development, and if you've seen some of the immersive three-dimensional games that are capable of being, uh, uh, that are out there, right. you know how immersive that experience can be, we're not that far away from having an experience that would be similar to what consciousness is in yes. the physical world. And, right. and I, so I think it's kind of fascinating to think that, oh yeah, and, and you'll see mainstream scientists that will not accept that there's a, a God, if you will, or that there's right. any concept outside of that, but they will accept that we might actually be in a computer simulation right now. Yes. Well, <laughs> so, well in truth, in, well, this is uh, sharing my belief. We are, we are in a virtual reality of our well, own creation. But it's just the hubris of man to say, yes. oh, well, if I can make it, this computer simulation, then that seems reasonable to me. It's like, okay, if that's what you need, that's fine. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. And it's true. Like you said, the each, I believe each of us have a unique filter because we yeah. know two people, yeah. even we can agree on a lot of things like you and I agree on a lot yeah. of things, but we still have each, you have yeah. your own unique fil filter of the world. And I am also, now that's because actually they're not the same right okay and I, i'm gonna that just from my point of view and i always have to throw that i have to perceive that this is my point of view i am creating my own virtual reality and you are creating your own virtual and they're yeah. separate so yeah. even if we're in the same room looking at the same tree that tree is going to look slightly different to me than it does to you Sure. We can we can agree there's a tree there, but I'm creating a whole different tree than you are. And I right. know people are like she's gone off. off no, no, bit. I completely <laughs> understand what you're saying. No, I. Yes. I that, yes. But it, it is. Um, this gets back into that concept of the each of us is a unique expression of God. Yeah. Why would God want every single person to experience every single thing the same exact way? Exactly. What's the where's the fun in that? Exactly. You know, if, exactly. You're, if you're capable of expressing and creating this matter-based world to experience yes. things in time and space, then why would you want every single person, every single expression to be exactly the same? Exactly. And each yeah. expression is uh, uniquely different. So yes. each, there's over 7 billion people on this planet and we're yeah. each creating our own reality independently well i say independently but we're one so that sounds like okay we're we're not separate we are one but we are all looking at it differently it's well like, you have to be able to uh, accept that there are more there is more than the three dimensions that we we traditionally accept exactly yeah. exactly exactly yeah. yes yes so, wow this is you know what this is this is we we've talked about so much science in this, <laughs> which is great because i'm that's my thing it was science yeah. i struggled now i studied metaphysics off and on since the 70s i want to say off mm -hmm. and on uh 70s there was a time in the 70s then in the 80s then in the 90s um 
but I really didn't wake up to understanding what made everything make per perfect sense to me was understanding the truth of oneness. Mm -hmm. And that didn't happen until 2007 when um, I watched What the Bleep which is a, yeah. quantum, a, a, a documentary on quantum physics. Yep. And so it was science that really had me understand metaphysics. So yeah. <laughs> that was interesting. Yeah, I was pushed into this because of the experience yes. with my son. Yes. Yeah, that was prior to that. I would never have looked into this. I, it was not something that was a, a topic of interest to me. I was far more interested in researching the latest algorithms that are being used for the kind of work that I did or right. business-related issues, that's really where my spare time went. Right. All my time now goes, all my spare time goes into this when I'm not working as an engineer or as a consultant. Yeah. Right. Now, for me, like I said, I was studying metaphysics off and on, but even like I, I had those two distinct experiences with my son where I, it's like I, I, it felt like I lost him twice because the first time... Yeah. I, I said, no, I'm not, I am not, I am not. And I tried to kill myself in 2011 yeah. and I'm still here. But I do believe that we had a soul agreement, my son and I, um, with your souls. I read, I was reading your soul's plan when he did transition. And that's why when he actually did transition, I was at peace because I knew he wasn't going anywhere. I knew it was a soul plan. I knew he wasn't going anywhere. And I, I, I knew that, um, this was like his, our agreement in before my lifetime, he yeah. we agreed to, because everything happens in divine timing, even though your son was 24, my son was 29. We would think as parents, no, we're supposed to go first, but right. everything happens in divine timing. And when you understand that from a spiritual, and I try, I try now to live my life from a spiritual perspective. Anything yeah. that happens, I look at it, I said, okay, that happened, it happened for my highest good, it happened for the highest good of the all, and to look for the good in that. So yeah. I love that. That's, that's a great how, way to that's a great way to go through life. Yeah. And you are and you're doing amazing because like you said, for me it's been four for a little over four years and for you it's been a little over two years. So yeah. You're definitely, and it's not about time. So I, I want to say that to the parents yeah. that I don't want parents to feel like, okay, they're, they're, they're. I've they're been at this for 10 years and I still feel horrible. It's like, <laughs> right, oh, okay. Right. That's right. okay. It's yeah. okay. And that's the thing, right? It, it is about when a person is ready. Exactly. And, you know, I, I hear people say all the time, I can't do this. Yeah. And what I encourage people to say is instead of saying can't, say won't. Right. Because it empowers you to say that this is something I, I can't ever feel good again. Right. It's like, yeah. no, just change can't to won't. Mm -hmm. Because then you're empowering yourself. You're saying, well, what do you mean? Then I can make a decision. Yeah, you can make a choice. Right. If, if you right. want to feel this way, then you can. If you want to feel better, then you can. Like you this said, is the beauty of life. Yes. <laughs> this is where do you want to place your focus and where do you want to place your intention? Where do you want to try and pursue things? If you want to be uh, this, this whole process that I went through that I document in the book was not something that I did lightly. This was the focus of my attention. I mean, I, I let go of a business that I was starting up with my son and my daughter, that business failed as a result of this because I was so completely consumed with 
first the grief, but then second, the exp the exploration and the growth that I needed in order to navigate my way out of that grief. Yes. And I think that people need to give themselves the time to, to do that and the permission to yes. heal. Yes. Because if you don't give yourself the permission to heal and you say that it, that's not possible, I will always be sad. And if you have, and if you're in a, an environment where you've got a whole bunch of other people saying, yes, you're always going to be sad. Yeah. Okay, then you will. Yeah. You have cold. If you want to, right. it's, it's really up to you. Yes. And that's so true. It is, it's, it's very true that we are so much more powerful than we think we are. Yes. And it's so true. The statement, if you say you can, you can, if you say you can't, you can't, you're, you're correct either way because right. you are the one that yeah. is creating. Yeah. It. When I hear that, when I hear that statement, I just say, you are right. Yes. If you want to be right. Here's your shot. I'm telling yes. you, you're right. Cause you are more powerful than you know, exactly. because you are God. So yes. you get to yes. say, how do you want to experience this? Yes. That is your perspective. Yeah. That is so true. So very true. Well, yeah. thank you so much, David. And thank I you, hope Karen. we get to see each other again in person. Oh, uh, I'm sure we will. Definitely. I know at the next um, Helping Parents Heal Conference. Yes, is, uh, I will be there. It's not till 2020. Yes, 2020. So we have time, but yes. hopefully we get to see each other even before that. And we'll stay That'd in touch by, by email. That'd like be great. Said. And if you've got readers that want to, or uh, listeners that yes. want to uh, oh. take a look at the book, yes, um, please share. You can just go to findingdavy.com. Okay. Um, that website has some information about the book and links uh, where people can pick it up. Okay. Thank you. And I'm, I'm sorry. I meant to ask you to share that with your list with the That's okay. And, and you did. Yes. Findingdavy.com is where you, and the book is also available on Amazon. Yes. So, yes, so we definitely must, must, must read. Thank you, <laughs> Thank you so much. That. I appreciate Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Right. You have a good day. Okay. Thank you, Caroline. You too. Bye-bye.